Hello. Oh, hey, John. How are you doing this week? Hi, Dan. How's everything going way, way up there in uh, Seattle? Oh, I mean, well, Dan? Yeah. I can't really say that things are going that good right now. Why? What's happening up there? Oh, because you know, the, well, just... you're talking about the Russia. You now, I said the. Better put mm-hmm. it in front of Russia. No, the Russia. I think that's the right way to do it. The Russia. Yeah. 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 No, I just, um, I just woke up this morning with kind of a a pit in my stomach. Wow. Oh. And uh, I don't usually. You know, there's a there's that feeling in your in your stomach where it's like, oh, I have to do something really major today, and then there's a very similar version of it where you just wake up and you're like, oh no, like there's just so many things I don't want to, yeah, have have be true. Mm. And uh, so, in the world or in your personal life or both. No, I don't take the world personally. No, you know? that's uh, that's how you survive. I think you you have to just roll with it. I wonder if, I mean, this is this is one of those like try and try and live in somebody else's skin thing. I mm. wonder if there are people who take the news of the day, things that are happening far away. Yes, uh, but that they that they. Uh, internalize them or mm-hmm. that you know they wake up and read a headline about about a disaster and they actually feel pain mm-hmm. inside like you would waking up in the morning and like your your stomach's in a knot about mm-hmm. some you know in my case it's always some little you know piddly ass stuff it's never nothing bad has ever really happened to me right my house has never burned down i've never lost a uh like a family member to a disaster. And so, um, well, geez, I should knock on wood. Yeah, do it. Because I was going to say, like, you don't want to jinx anything. You got to get real with this. Get real. That's right. Use science by knocking on the coffee table. Yeah. As long as it's wood or wood, you know, just composite wood. Like if it's like ply, the compressed, you know, where, where it's like they take the wood Mm -hmm. and then they compress it together. And it's like, or mm-hmm. what, what do they call that stuff? Oh, there's so many kinds, Dan. Does that count as wood? I think it does because there's wood in it somewhere. You I know, mean, the British the British have the expression, when we say knock on wood, they say yeah. touch wood. And to oh, me, that's wood. purely sexual. <laughs> there's no other way to yeah. interpret that. It seems, touch this wood. seems like a Seinfeld bit, right? Touch, touch wood. Touch, yeah. No, I uh, I think that almost all of the uh, manufactured wood products have. Do they wood not get in erections in the UK or something? I don't think they call them wood. They must call them uh, dongles or mm. or uh, dingbats or something. Yeah, dingbats. <laughs> I I've been using a kind of uh, I've been using a Sopranos um, uh, metric. Okay. Recently, in trying to judge my own suffering, that is to say. The things I'm anxious about. And then I think about bit characters in The Sopranos that come up against the Soprano family. Mm-hmm. They're just doing their thing. They're running a, a, a landscaping company or, right. they're, or, they, or they have a little <laughs> deli somewhere uh-huh. or somebody just, you know, honk their horn because, you know, because Christopher Moltisanti wouldn't, wouldn't go when the light turned green or whatever. Right. 
And then they get either brutally attacked by the Sopranos mm -hmm. or they get or something terrible happens where all of a sudden now they got to pay protection money to them or, or right. you know, like something. T the Sopranos is all built on the premise that <clears throat> all these normal people in New Jersey are just getting chewed up and spit out by these people. Yeah, of course. And so I look at my own problems and I go, is, is the worst thing that's happening to me right now that I'm anxious about as bad as a chance encounter with Pauly Galtieri where I, like, pissed him off about something? And generally the answer is no. Right? Like, generally no, no like, insane random violence just delivers itself upon me and i think that i think that that kind of keeps me it's it's somewhere between a, a a sopranos metric and a curb your enthusiasm metric because terrible things happen to larry david every day mm -hmm. larry david never gets a good night's sleep and yet he bounces he bounces off of all of it people mm -hmm. are suing him he can't go into his favorite place anymore because somebody gave him a look. You know, like, he's just... And my problems are closer, I think, more akin to Larry David's. But he bounces so... He bounces so gently from place to place. From thing to thing. In a weird way, right? Like, Larry David has these confrontations. And I'm, I'm not even talking about him as a television star. I know that he probably has these in his daily life. Mm -hmm. These confrontations that I would, I would hate. I'd be miserable in these confrontations. Mm -hmm. He just go. He just he has them, but then he's on to the next thing. He seems miserable. <laughs> La last, but he seems miserable. But he's also it's funny, right? Yeah. I was watching, very funny. I watched a Seinfeld last night, and um, Elaine, just like. In the course of one of f 15 hijinks in this particular episode, yeah, just offhandedly says, oh, yeah, I got served papers today because, <laughs> you know, a guy, <clears throat> I, I caused a, a, a Chinese food delivery boy to, to run his bike into a car. And, you know, she's being sued for whatever assault. And it's just a, it's just a toss-off line. Whereas, you know, you sit uh, in my situation, sit, sit around waiting for the knock on the door, somebody serve you papers, you know, I just, but feel like, I feel like throwing up. So anyway, normally, you know, I, I, I really was, was doing pretty good for a few weeks there. And now I got all these little petty catastrophes. I don't know. How are you? You you know you've you've weathered some major uh, obstacles. Yeah, you could say that. Yeah, you know some stuff that would that would really tie a guy up in knots. Mm, yeah, last couple of years have been hard, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are you out? Are you out of it? Are you are you smooth sailing now? I mean, there's still some details. You know, there's always details, but sure. uh, on a personal level, I'm doing fantastic do you feel like your heart is light yeah actually most of the time yeah and it's that, it's, it's weird because 
you know, like I don't talk about a lot of this stuff and th- there's, there's reasons why. And one of the reasons is there's other people involved and I respect privacy and things like right. that. And sure. Sure. Um, and then there's, you know, there's my own stuff that I talk about. Like I remember, um, I remember reading something that a, a podcaster that we, we all know, um, was talking about very publicly about this thing that happened to him. Hmm. I revealed that it's a him. So that'll mm, give some people okay. a right. little bit of a clue to ma- a male podcaster. So we've that really we narrowed know. it down. Uh-huh. We've really narrowed it down in the world. <laughs> a male podcaster. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about something that happened to him. And got got all of this like public support and people coming out. Oh, you know, it's, it's so amazing that this happened to us and like sharing and like Kumbaya happening and like got tons of props for like, you know, talking about it. And like, it's, it's not like you can compare tragedies. You know what I'm saying? Like comparing a tragedy. Well, it, you know, the way, the way that this happened to us was worse than what happened to you, which is, is never true. I mean, any, it, it's, it's all relative, right? You know, like, like depending on who you are and where you grew up and what your experience is that, you know, getting, uh, getting made fun of in the lunchroom might have had the same effect on, on you as a child as, you know, this, this other kid in another country who was, you know, had to live in a box, you know what I'm saying? Like that living in a box, you're going to be like, well, that's worse than getting made fun of in the lunchroom. But for the person who got made just the wrong person that gets made fun of in the lunchroom, they're going to have PTSD from that for the rest of their life. It's all relative. You can't say that one person's suffering is somehow less than another person's suffering, even though you kind of feel like you can, it's impossible to put yourself in that other person's mind. You know what I'm saying? But like what happened to us was was really even a more extreme version of what happened to that person. And I never say it. I don't say anything about it. And and the reason why, John, is because I under I understand that sometimes sharing personal things, personal traumas, whatever, can help other people hear about them. The emails that we get to the show, primarily because of the stuff that we share and mostly because of the, the stuff that you have shared in the past about mental health and other things like that that you've been through, people really appreciate it. They email and they say, thank you so much for sharing and for for being so willing to be open about it. But, you know, I, I feel like for me, it doesn't help me to talk about it. It doesn't make me feel better. And this is because of this strange dynamic that I've noticed that I, I can't, that when I say it to people, they don't really get it. I think you get it. But it, what it comes down to, it, and this is going to sound weird, so I have to explain it after I say it, is that I don't really care what other people are thinking about or knowing or doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not really, I don't really care. And I don't, you know, it's like an app, you, go to, you go to look at something on Amazon. You're like, I, wanna, I wonder if this set of steak knives is, is great. And you'll read a hundred reviews and half of them are like, it's the best set of steak knives ever. And then the other half are like mixed, you know, some people hate it. Some people had it. Some people are giving it one star because Amazon delivered it a day late, you know, so you can't really trust other people's opinions because their, their experience in the world is usually so different from mine. I know very, very, very few people who have the same kind of experience or perspective on the world or address the world in the same way that I do. It really, I almost never meet people 
And so over the years, I've kind of just adjusted to that by saying, your experience is going to be so different from mine that I almost can't listen to what you have to say about it. So much so that I just kind of stopped. I, I kind of put myself in this mindset where I don't, I don't really get anything out of that. And so there were the, there was this thing that happened once and then we had to go to like a group of other people to talk about it and hear their stories about it and listen to it. And, and, and like all of these people in the room, this, you know, a dozen other people were having this cathartic experience of sharing and hearing what other people had to say. And, and it was like helping them and you could see them, like evolving as people and sharing and connecting. And I was just sort of a passenger on that bus, you know, like I was just along for the ride. I felt nothing. Mm-hmm. Hearing their stories uh, did not affect me other than to say, wow, I, I feel horrible that that happened to you, but it didn't help me. It helped that, but them telling me helped them. So I was glad to do it. You know, them talking about it and me being an audience to that was like incredibly beneficial to them. And it made me happy in that way to like be helping them. But I didn't get anything out of it. And when I was my turn to share stuff, I shared it and I could see I could witness people experiencing intense emotions, hearing it. And But for me, it's not like I felt anything in doing it because for me, I had processed it all internally. And this was back when I had like a strong meditation practice going an hour minimum an hour a day every day for years Mm -hmm. and i'm i don't i don't have this quite ability quite anymore but i was really really in this great mental state of of uh, practicing mindfulness you know almost as, as long as i was awake and being very mindful and very centered and I was able to really connect with and address my feelings and internal, you know, so they, I wasn't internalizing them. I was really processing them. I had a therapist I was talking to about it, which didn't really help, but, um, you know, the way that I was able to process that kind of stuff, I, I, I felt, you know, but at the same time, like I felt like I was missing out on this great experience that everybody else was having. Uh, but that's how I feel a lot. Like I don't really feel like when I talk to somebody about something, I feel like I'm doing it for their benefit more than for my own. A lot of people get a lot out of talking about something and sure. Like I want to talk, then talk out a decision with people or make plans with people or have fun and talk. It's not like I'm like, don't want to do that. I do that all the time. We talk for a living, don't we, John? Yes. But it being in that, in that room or in that setting. And, and this carries out to whether it's Amazon reviews or something else. It's that I just am not like, I don't really care what other people think. Like, I don't need to check in on my decision with someone else and say, do you think that's a good move? Like I never ask anyone for that kind of thing, unless it's something I'm completely out of my depth in. Like, you know, if I'm trying to assemble, you know, like a nuclear warhead or something, I'm going to seek out advice on that. Yeah. Make sure I don't, you know, cut the wrong wire or whatever. Sure. But if it's a personal decision, something like that, I don't, I don't get a lot by talking it out, whether it's to a therapist or to a friend or anything. I feel like I trust my, I trust my own instincts and my own gut feeling. And it's been wrong plenty of times, but I, I feel like trusting that has worked for me more times than it's failed for me. 
but it's definitely felt big for me. I've made so many mistakes. And when I look back on it, I'm like, I don't even know who I would have talked to to have gotten better advice about that. Like, you know, like when I started 5 by 5 I had no idea how any of this worked because nobody was doing it, you know? The only place that I had to compare it to was like what Twit was doing. Leo Laporte over there was doing on, on Twit. And I kind of modeled the 5 by 5 setup after that because that was the only thing that I had to, to follow. And he, I think, kind of modeled it after like whatever old school TV was doing, which wasn't the best thing to model it after in my experience. But that was like a huge mistake setting it up that way. And I had to evolve and adapt and come up with different, you know, a different way to, to run that business. But like, I was never very good at any of that stuff. I was good on the mic and that was about it. And I'm good at software stuff. But, you know, I had, I have and had a lot to learn about all the other aspects of that. And I found like, I suck at it. And I didn't need someone else to tell me that I sucked at it. I found it out pretty quick, but I didn't know what to do about it. And whenever I would ask people for advice or how to change it or fix it, they're, 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 you know, it's like when my kid will come and tell me about some video game and I don't even have a frame of reference to understand what he's talking about. Like I, and, I, and so I just like, yeah, okay, cool. But it makes him feel really, really good to tell me about whatever this glitch is he's trying to do in his game or perfect pelt that he earned in Red Dead Redemption or whatever. Like, I'm like, that's awesome, dude. Like, and he's excited to tell me about it, but I don't know what he's even talking about. I don't know what he's talking about, but it's fine. I'm just there being present for the other person. And so I just don't get a lot out of sharing this stuff. It doesn't do anything for me. I'm sure it would help other people, but yeah, let's kind of roll with it. <clears throat> do you feel like you have intense emotions? Yes. Internally? Yes. Very and, intense. And, and it's taken you, me 49 years <laughs> to to come up with a way to, um, you know, well, maybe not 40, maybe 45 years to kind of figure out how to manage. You know, I'm still learning. I'm still learning now. But yes, definitely very intense, strong emotions. Do you get emotion, strong emotions about things you read in the newspaper? Never. Do you get strong emotions about things that happen to people that you know but don't affect you? Yes. Yeah. Like if something really good or really bad has happened to them, yes, very strong emotions. Even if they're just a friend. Like if you were to tell me something, like I think about how you didn't get that cat that you wanted because he is too mean. Yeah. You know, like I feel like bad, like I wanted that to happen. And that's a minor little thing. But I, like I think about that a lot, you know, like little things like that. Sure, of course. But like, I don't, I am not the kind of person that like reads a news story and gets upset about it and, and feels like I have to go and protest something or whatever. I just don't connect in that way. But if it's something personal, like I was uh, recently in New York and I met with a friend there and he's Russian. And he was talking to me about how, you know, he's very concerned about his, his parents who are still in Russia. And he's been desperately trying to like send the money before everything is cut off, you know? And then he was, he was talking about that. And I was like, this really, like, I really felt for him and, and for them in that whole situation. And, you know, like this was more like a business lunch kind of a thing, but we wound up getting in this conversation all about it. And, 
he was on his way to the UN to go protest after we were done eating. And, you know, like hearing this story from him made it, you know, I definitely connected with that and definitely felt strongly about that and, and felt for him and the situation and things like that. But that's very different from, you know, you read that in the newspaper that X many people were displaced. It's like that you can't connect with it the same way as hearing a friend tell you about like his parents. Like, I don't know. It's a very different kind of a thing for me. And I don't know. I, I think maybe other people have an easier way to kind of put themselves in the situation when they read something in a newspaper about it. But for me, it's, it's more about that personal connection and trying to, you know, trying to personalize something that you read when you're reading about some number it's very different, you know, than like when you hear, a, oh, a tornado hit this thing and destroyed this many homes. Like, oh, that sucks. Glad I wasn't in that tornado. But then you hear the interview with the person and their house and like, like I watched this video the other day of this woman like found her cat after the cat like survived. Oh, I'm talking about cats today. But the cat yeah. like survived like three weeks on its own. And she like kept coming back to, I don't know if it was a tornado or what destroyed this area. But this woman kept coming back like every day to look for her cat. And she finally found the cat. It just kind of like came out of the, like this giant pile of wreckage. It just happened to be while the news crew was there. And she'd been going there for three weeks, hadn't seen it. Now, while the news crew is there, she's there and the cat emerges and she picks it up and it's just purring and she's having like this emotional reunion with the cat, you know? And she's like, she's, and I forget the cat's name, but she was calling her, I guess one of her family members or a friend or something. And, you know, the cat, she says, Oh, I have, you know, I don't know what the cat's, let's call the cat Bucky. I'm calling the cat Bucky. She says, well, I have Bucky now. And that's all I need. I have everything I need now. And she's just sitting there holding the cat. And I was like, that makes it personal. You know, like you, you hear something like that or see something like that. You're like, wow. Like that's very different from hearing, you know, 35 homes were destroyed. Well, this is like, that's different, you know? So like that in that sense, I can appreciate that sharing a story helps people and and all of that. But I also don't feel any obligation to share anything personal with anyone ever, regardless of the circumstance or who they are. Right. You know, and like I I do understand that like sharing this stuff here is like really helpful to people. But also like I don't I don't know. I, I don't know what it is that makes me not do that. Uh, and I think that's okay. I think it's okay. Like, it's okay for me to be the kind of uh, host, co-host that that kind of has that slight. I think it works for our show and it works for most of the shows that I do for me to kind of be the voice of the listener in a way to kind of be the, the take that somewhat interviewer type role a little bit. Um, and, and in order to do that effectively, you have to kind of maintain some distance in a way while still allowing the audience to connect through you. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where, where I've been. Um, and people, I always get emails after these shows, like, what's going on with you now? What happened? What happened? I'm like, well, if I didn't tell John on the show, I'm probably not going to tell the complete stranger that's DMing me on Twitter <laughs> to find out what it was. And then there's people like, I kind of think I know what it is. I'm like, you don't though. I promise you don't. Um, but like people, I, people worry and that's so sweet. Like people are like legit worried. I'm fine. 
there's nothing to worry about. It's great. I'm better now than I've been in the entire time <laughs> that I've been podcasting. That's great. Yeah. You know, that's wonderful news. Yeah. That's wonderful. And, and you know, I don't, I, I never, uh, when I refer to you and your behind the scenes life, I never, uh, I'm not trying to like out you or. No, I never felt like you would. But there's a, uh, there's a weird, there's a weird line between public and private for me where some stuff, some stuff feels like it needs to be in the public record. And not for, not for us, but for humankind. Mm. And maybe that's, uh, maybe that's, uh, I mean, I'm not sure exactly what my foundation in that is. But mm. like every time I read some story where some historical personage had a long correspondence with someone and on their death, the person burned all the letters. I'm like, well, okay, except now you're also dead and everyone that knew you both is dead. And those letters are more important to have preserved than whatever your short life added up to, you know, your privacy or that person's privacy. Like we look back now at that writer or that politician and we don't know the whole picture. And so, you know, at this point, if we had letters to Julius Caesar from mm -hmm. his lover mm. that were embarrassing, mm -hmm. <laughs> that made Julius Caesar look like a weirdo, mm -hmm. are the letters more important than their privacy or is their is their 2000 year old privacy still a thing? Does it, is the, is it even a thing? You know, right. This, and, does a privacy expire the way that like a, a trademark on a song, like we can sing happy birthday in a movie. Now we couldn't do that for a while. Cause the thing like finally expired. I the think great privacy, Gatsby, the great Gatsby is a public thing now. You oh, can, is that right? Yeah. That was a oh, recent one. I'm going to start uh, making songs with Gatsby lyrics. There you go. I noticed there was a, was it a Robert Frost poem that just went public domain? Um, I do think privacy expires and you see it a lot where people donate, you know, their papers or their mother's papers to a library and they say, we want these sealed for a certain amount of time, right? The court will seal divorce or, you know, the courts, courts will oh, seal like child custody records. stuff. They seal yeah. that. And there's certain, you know, the judge like we're sealing this and then everyone but for gets a, kicked out and for a certain amount of time. Right. Right. Yeah. And and then it becomes a matter of public record after the. Yeah, I feel like once everybody involved is dead, it's fine. Well, yeah, but the thing is, in the moment, right? I mean, whatever was on that tape that they erased in the White House, we'll never know. Mm -hmm. It might have just been Nixon saying a bunch of swears. I will never know, you know, or some just some weird racist stuff, or he, you know, or <laughs> well, he that, might... it was both of those things for sure. <laughs> whatever else it was, we don't know. Sure, that stuff came out, but like, or he might have said, you know, I personally was behind the the controls of a B-52 and bombed Cambodia 16 times just because it was fun because I was the president. You know, like I, that's a, that's a stupid example, but, but so for me, I, when I think about my life and the, and the, um, 
the control I have over what's what's out there, I always kind of trend toward um, don't redact. You know, put as much into the record as you can, and 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 it. I I I think I mentioned this the other day. It's getting me in trouble lately because I've there have been a couple of shows that I've done where I because I use people's real names, and you know I got in really hot water with some old friends because I was talking about their dad, mm. and and you know was talking about their dad in, in using his real name mm. and and the and my friends heard it because apparently people listen to these podcasts and so they're listening to a podcast of their old you know their childhood friend and all of a sudden he's talking about their dad and their dad's you know foibles and missteps in his life and i'm talking about the man because he, to me he's a historical figure he's somebody that belongs in the record he is in the public record i didn't say anything really that wasn't already in the newspapers but the personal the personal aspect that I, that I knew him closely and that I was friends with his kids and that we all were part of a small community, you know, it hurt them. It hurt mm -hmm, them. Mm -hmm. And that was never my intention, you know, because I'm thinking, I mean, I think this way about my father and my uncle and all of my family, my mom, I just think of them as like, imagine what, what their childhoods were like back in ancient Greece. And my mom's like, I'm still alive. And it's like, yeah, 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 I know. But like, it's important that people know what it was like. And it's why I never redacted my tweets. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us olds just thought of Twitter in the same way that we think of, of all media growing up, which was like, no, you preserve it. Like, don't lose the tape. So I think of you as a, as a public figure and as a, as a person in history. And so, you know, your story personally, mm -hmm. to me, interestingly contextualizes your whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm, I never pressure you, but I'm like always kind of hinting at it because it's just fascinating how people think they know a person. Right. And I mean, and that's the whole thing is like people found, like, I remember when Merlin learned somehow that I had tattoos, for example. Um, or when I started doing a video I, over, over the summer, the first summer of COVID, when everyone was super isolated and alone, my, one of my responses to that was I said, you know, I'd always wanted to kind of have fun and do like a, a morning news show. So I did a YouTube show every morning for like half an hour to an hour every day. And I didn't promote it. I didn't really try to get people to it. I just started doing it. And wow. I was doing it mostly for myself. But then, you know, people people found it and started tuning in. And it was really fun. It was a really fun way to sort of help break that disconnected feeling that I feel like all of us had. And yeah, a lot of the time I would wear a short sleeve shirt. And every single oh. time I would do it, people would be like, you have tattoos? Like they imagined me as being some kind of like super straight laced. And I realized that that's part of the persona that I think comes across is like, I'm, you know, like, like we've, we've joked about the, uh, the odd couple 
kind of thing. Mm. Um, but people have like really no idea what my life is like or what I'm interested in or, or what I do. And I, and I realize part of that's because I'm often playing the, as it, to use the old fashioned term, the straight man on the mm. show, mm-hmm. that that's kind of the role that I fall into. And I don't mind that. Um, but people have a very different image of me than is the, is the real one. And it's not because I portray myself in a way that isn't authentic. It's I, I only, I think I only share, you know, for 30, 40% of what's going on. And I'm also doing it. You know, most people probably know me from this show and from back to work. And maybe if they're longtime listeners, they know the interview shows that I did, or maybe they know quit on that show quit. I got, much, much, I revealed a, a lot more, got much closer to, you know, sharing my thoughts and opinions about things and whatever. But, you know, like I have tattoo sleeves and that people are like, what? Like that doesn't connect. They don't connect that. They're like, why would Dan have that? He's like, I imagine him sitting there in a, like a collar shirt with a tie. And I don't know why people do that. It doesn't bother me. I like, I'll, that's, yeah, I dress like that sometimes. It's fine. But, you know, for the people that are my that are my friends in the real world, uh, not listeners, but people who actually know me, I think they know of a very different side of me because it's in it's in the real world, you know. Um, but I think that you're only ever going to, you know, everyone everyone kind of wants to put everybody else into whether they're intentionally doing it or not. They kind of create an image or a box uh, for another person, and when you find out that that person isn't like that or doesn't fit into the box, it's, it's hard for you to sort of like, how do you mitigate that? Oh, I thought this person was this way, but what they're really like this and they have been all along, like all along they've been that way. And tattoos is just one silly example. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard to get to know someone when they're, you see them every day at work even. You know, let alone you hear them for an hour on a podcast or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I guess the whole idea of it ultimately is it's some kind of impulse to build civilization. You know, you, I don't, I don't want, what, what, what am I trying to say? I want to make life easier for people. Yes. But, but not by, and, and I try to do that by sharing things that might help to, to hear. But it's not, it's not coming from a rescuing kittens kind of emotional life. Um, it's coming from a, if we all pull together, we can incrementally make, things better and by better i don't mean free of pain i mean uh like i i still have this idea and maybe it's like space race era idea or enlightenment idea that that we're building a tower you know that that um we've always been building a tower and every brick you can add builds this tower. And what is the point of the tower? To get up higher into the sky. You know, like mm-hmm. I, it's a, 
what the ant doesn't wonder what the point of the tower is. Why are we trying to explore other planets? It's just the tower we're building. And, um, and so I'm trying to add bricks to it and I'm not really super worried about people's feelings because it affects me emotionally to see people sad. Yeah. Right. Or, um, you know, I'm not trying to heal people's wounds for their own sake because I want them to be able to watch TV without crying. It's all about like trying to heal people's wounds so that then they go out and are able to do their work without suffering and their work adds bricks to the tower. And I hope that I am successful at that, but it is based on a, it's based on a, this, this public private partnership where you, where you show your work, Mm -hmm. I guess. And I'm trying, I'm always trying to show my work. And I know that's, um, the risks I'm taking are pretty low. Some, some, some friends from childhood are mad at me that I talked about their dad, but yeah. Uh, and honestly, I don't know what the, I don't know what the risks are, right? Because I didn't see, I want to say I didn't see the social media risks I was taking, but I did. I knew, I knew all along that was a tightrope walk and I know that this is too. Right. All along, I've known that this project of podcasting about ourselves mm-hmm. is a is a risk, and it's not. It's I cannot know what the risk is, which is you know, which is true. I think of a lot of risk. It's not a risk. Right now, nothing I'm saying right now is going to cause the police to come to the door. But 10 years from now, 20 years from now, mm-hmm. public opinion being what it is, this, this, uh, this material, this, these bricks that we're laying down will exist you know, long past my life and what seems like pretty easy care carefree stuff to to say and talk about may not be thought that may, may not be 20 years from now. And there will be a similar like inability of people 20 years from now to, to look to, to, to take things in the past in their context. Now, maybe not, but I was reading about Robert Frost and as simple uh, yesterday and as simple a, character as Robert Frost who we all have a picture of Robert Frost as like America's comfortable New England poet like America's poet laureate basically but Robert Frost went through phases his reputation went through phases and there was a part there was a point in the middle period between then and now where the modernists were like Robert Frost what a cornball and it was only just uh it was only a couple of scholarly articles or one interesting person that 
that pointed out that he was kind of a proto-modernist or whatever, and mm -hmm. then Robert Frost is back, right? Norman Rockwell. Do you remember when Norman Rockwell went through a little period where people were saying, wait a minute, maybe he's the most avant-garde. Mm. After decades of people just like, uh, you know, fine art people just sneering at him. Yeah. And yeah, it was just doing silly magazine covers. Yeah. And then there was a period where, no, 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 maybe he's a fine artist. And then that didn't, that didn't make it all the way to like Norman Rockwell retrospective at MoMA. But I think his reputation is assured. I mean, think about Mr. Rogers. There's not a person alive right now that would dare say a bad thing about Mr. Rogers, but 30 years from now? What happens if Mr. Better Rogers... not say anything about Mr. Rogers. That's the thing, though. I'm coming the, for them. Times change. Even five years from now, there might be some hot take on BuzzFeed where it's like, actually, Mr. Rogers made it easier for pedophiles. And that all you have to do is say it. And then there's a subsequent article. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of people that only read the headlines. They're like, is Mr. Rogers a pedophile? Did I read that? And pretty soon there's 20 years where Mr. Rogers is in the darkness until somebody writes a, writes a think piece. It's like, actually, Mr. Rogers was, a, you know, was a proto futureling. He just, you know, we did blah, 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 and it's, it's not, it's not confined to our modern character. This is something in human life. Moby Dick, nobody read it when it came out. Moby Dick only became the great American novel decades after Melville died. Same with Gatsby. So what we're doing, laying this all down, who knows? Who knows whether it's the it's the joke that Ken and I say at the beginning of every omnibus. We're trying to <laughs> we're trying to convince people that no 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 this is really important what mm -hmm. we're doing. Mm -hmm. Don't don't come after, you know, like don't don't think that that we're not aware that our real listeners are 500 years in the future. But that might be true. I we've talked about it I think before where yeah. this recording somewhere will survive us and the intimacy of the conversation there will be it you'll be able to listen to this conversation after you and i are both dead mm -hmm. and yet it'll still have this this personal intimacy you'll you know you can you're alive with us we're alive with you rather but you know, is, is my daughter, are your kids going to want that? I mean, you've done a much better job of protecting your kids from someone coming up to them at a college mixer and saying, I've listened to every word your dad said as part of a graduate thesis where I'm going to take him out at the knees. Right. I mean, my daughter has already come home and said, yeah, kids have looked you up on the internet and they have this, that, and the other to say. But these are fifth graders, yeah. right? When she's 14, maybe the internet won't exist. Or maybe kids yeah, will right, be just knows. somewhere that maybe I've, I, I'm convinced that, the, that this subsequent generation to Generation Z, which I read the other day is being called Generation Alpha. Mm-hmm which our kids are members of. 
Yes. Uh, my daughter and your daughter are. My son is a though, Z. Is a, is a Z. A young Z. And our daughters are old alphas. Mm -hmm. It's entirely possible that Generation Alpha will have so much backlog of data that they just won't care. There's so much other stuff to think about than Googling your friend's parents. But maybe not. And it may be a thing that, that causes her problems, social problems. Because she's just walking down the hall carrying her books and some bully's like, hey, bean daughter. And she's got, you know, she's got nothing. What can she, what can she say? Her dad has made a public record of himself for good and, and ill. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I hope that that TikTok wipes the world away, that the, that the slate is cleaned. But, of course, it, it never will be. And not even worrying about her at 15 years old, but at 75 years old. Will she look back at her life and go, God, I wish that 10-year period where my dad talked about all his shit on line I wish that didn't exist because it changed the whole course of my life and I would have been a different person if, you know, she, she and I see each other today and it's not an issue because it's never, aside from the Child Protective Services visit, which she enjoyed. Yeah, right. But I don't know. I don't know whether my great-great-grandkids will be like, yeah, our, our ancestor is this infamous person. Not infamous for, for any evil deed, but infamous for, for sharing too much. 